Good morning, beloved. What are we? Day 13, stream number 13. I can't believe it. I've never been so consistent in my life. I've done everything in my power to uh, not to have a life where I have too many obligations, where I can kind of have some freedom, but um, this is where we're at. We have to put my hand to the plow, and this is where we're going. Oh, the boomers are mad. Uh, my take on the law enforcement or cops uh, in yesterday's stream is, uh, well, it's a very mixed bag. But the interesting thing is that when you look at the statistics, when you look at the thumbs up versus thumbs down, it's still in the 95, 96% of people are for it. So a lot of the folks that you hear or you see in the comments that are, are, are very much against that, are uh, it's a very small minority. I'm glad to see people are waking up to the tyranny. What are the biggest problems with this? And again, let me preface this. I don't hate everyone that's, that's a cop, but the system needs to be changed. The system is really set up in a bad way where they have something called qualified immunity. Some of you have heard of this, maybe you haven't, where it basically makes them exempt from any sort of prosecution, even if they do something stupid. You know, we've had situations now where there was one while back that a woman cop pulled out uh, her, her service weapon, uh, thought it was a taser, and, and shot a guy in a car. You know, these things are happening all the time. And I think a lot of folks have just not realized how tyrannical United States police has become over the last few decades because it's very isolated. And if you find yourself, I mean, if you don't have a voice and you don't have a platform and you're, you've be, you're being abused, I mean, how, how would you ever get that out? When I first heard of the you know, I used to be pro-cop. Pro you know, I used to be a blue pill simp, you know, and, and, and drank the Kool-Aid and did like what I was told, like a good little boy. But then we got body cameras. And I remember when the first, I was working, I was volunteering with the fire department and, and one of the guys, my, my uh, captain was actually worked with the sheriff's department. And so we were having these discussions. And, you know, at that time, I was, I was certainly more pro-police because I hadn't really thought about it too much. I had been abused, and I'd never had a good experience with a cop, except for one time when a sheriff's officer helped me put some tire chains on. But a lot of negative, uh, a lot of really, really, really negative situations. But, you know, the programming is strong. But when those body cams came out, when I first heard that, I thought, oh, you know, that, that's, that's not good. You know, we, we need to, our, our, these are the good guys, right? These are the good guys. We don't need to be keeping track of them. You know, why would we need to do that? Well, that's the best thing that's ever happened because now we see. Now it can't be hidden, even though a lot of them turn it off. But there are a lot of channels popping up, Second Amendment auditors and such. You, you've been familiar with them. You should go search them out that are requesting these, FOIA requesting these body cam uh, this footage, and we're starting to see the real, what, what real tyranny looks like. The qualified immunity is the problem. There is no repercussions, and when you there, when there's no re repercussions for your actions, then you you can just you can see what happens. What happens on the West Coast when they when they no longer prosecute shoplifters, or they they tell everyone you know we're, you can steal up to a thousand dollars or whatever it is, and we're not going to do anything. What do you think is going to happen? Well, the system is going to be abused, and there's no retaliation. And one thing that's really short-sighted with, with uh, law enforcement, and of course I don't condone any violence here. We are peaceful people here. We want to live and let live. That's, that's what we do here. But what, what's going to start happening is that the, if, as long as, when these cops, are, if they continue to abuse people and, and be tyrants, then that is going to come back on them. People have had enough. 
people are fed up and people are going to start pushing back. Now, I don't advocate this. We don't want violence. You know, we'd like to have a peaceful solution. We'd like to have folks that uh, respect our rights, but it's not going to end well for them. The more people ramps up and, and the more desperate people get, these police officers are going to become a targets because of the way that they've behaved and they have made their bed by and large, not all of them. Now, yes, we can't lump everyone in together. I understand that. However, like I said yesterday, if you are in a department, you know, you know who's bad. You know, a police department's no different than any other organization or group that we've all worked in. If you've worked for a construction company, you've worked in a factory, everyone knows after you've been there from some time who the bad apple is. Who's the one that's gaming the system? Who's the one that's being lazy? Who's the one that's bullying or abusing people? We know about it and you turn a blind eye because you don't want to stir the boat because you want my paycheck, right? Well, if you're in that situation, and we're not just talking about someone shirking, shirking work or not pulling their weight and causing other people to do it, we're, we're talking about people that are sitting in jail illegally. We, we're, we're talking about cops that are planting drugs. We're, we're talking that are, that are that are breaking their oath and their coworkers know about it. And if you find yourself in that situation, if you sat on your hand because your paycheck or your career advancement is more important than rocking the boat, than ratting these, these horrible people out, then you are just as guilty and God will judge you. God will judge you, absolutely. So do I have the solutions? No, that's what's so nice about being a YouTube creator. You can get up here and rant and rave and share all your opinions and you don't have to, uh, <laughs> you don't have to get in and roll up your sleeves and do the hard work of reform. Mrs. W, <laughs> Mrs. W has told me from the day I was, uh, we first got married, shortly after we got married, she said, you know, I've, I've always known that you're going to be you're going, I married a preacher. You're going to be a preacher someday. And, and I said, oh, I don't know about that. You know? And then when we got involved in the church and I got to, to know what pastors and, and preachers and stuff have to do, deal with uh, and how the problems of all those old ladies and the constant, you know, oh, goodness, I can't even imagine. I, when I, after seeing that and seeing what a pastor has to deal with, with taking care of the problems and the complaints and the gripes and the bitching from the congregation, it gives you a different appreciation for what Moses must have had to deal with with the grumbling Israelites for 40 years in the desert. I don't know how he even kept his sanity. So I told Mrs. W, I saw, okay, well, if I'm going to get into the ministry, then I know what position I'm going to fill, and that's going to be a traveling evangelist. That would be perfect for me because you can, you can show up. Uh, they roll out the red carpet for you. Uh, you can get up there and you can uh, get all the people worked up and fire and brimstone and all that stuff and get everyone in a frenzy. And then right at peak, peak, uh, peak frenzy, uh, you blow out of town for the next one and you leave the wreckage to be dealt with with the, with the pastor and the elders. <laughs> so that's the way we I think that's the way we would have to roll here because I. Maybe it'll, may, maybe maybe wisdom and, and uh, maybe it'll come with uh, it'll come with uh, age. Maybe. So another thing, um, I told you guys, we're going to be keeping it real here. We're going to be twisting tails. Uh, we're going to be passionately arguing and bringing up points uh, that I think are important and uh, damn the consequences, right? One thing that's kind of interesting is, is here, you'll see in the comments, if you go and look on the last video I just uploaded, you'll see a lot of people coming out using this as ammunition, using what I said, what I did, that I flipped off a cop because I, I um, well, I gave in to my, my, my inner urges, you know, my, the, my dark side. 
uh, using that as ammunition against the church, against, against, against Christianity. Yes, what I did was wrong, uh, but uh, I confess that, you know, and, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm unlikely to do that again. But I think what's more important is for us to be honest. The thing that is so encouraging about the good book, when we go back and read the stories of the patriarchs, is the bare nakedness of their transgressions, of their sins, of, of everything that they did has been immortalized uh, for posterity, uh, for all of us to read. I mean, can you imagine, imagine yourself as being King David with his sins, what, what he did with Bathsheba and, and, and how he lost his kingdom and, and, at, and God had been so good to him. Can you imagine when he's in the kingdom and we have the opportunity to, to meet him, you know, that has been laid bare for everyone to see. All of his dirty laundry is out there for generations to see. Uh, that's quite a thing, isn't it? And I've always drawn encouragement from that. Can you imagine if you had come to Christ and you realize, okay, there's a book here, 66 books, and this here tells us about the history of the church. This is telling us about the character of God. It's telling us the story of God striving with humanity, with mankind, trying to build a bridge back to him. That's what it is. The whole, the, the, the thread that runs through the 66 books is God providing a way for his people, his children, who have made in his very image, have been separated from him, a way for them to get back. And how difficult that's been. The most encouraging thing is we see that the problems that plagued men, the problems that plagued women back in the day are the same things that we have to deal with today. Lust, greed, envy, adultery. Can you imagine as a sinful man, let's say you, were, you got off the rails and, and you went out and you've just been a, a, de, a de, deplorable person like we've all been. You feel God calling you back. You want to make a change. You're struggling, man. It's hard. It's hard to, to put away that old man of sin and put on that righteousness. It, it's, it's a battle. It's not hard, too hard. You can do it, but it, it's going to take effort. Can you imagine how discouraging it would be when you went back and you read the old stories about the patriarchs, and let's say that they were pious, and they never sinned, and they were nothing but just good and, and, and altruistic, and they gave everything to the poor? Can you imagine how discouraging that would be? Like you, would, you would compare yourself to that. What else do you have? I mean, that's the standard. God has raised these people up as an example to us. How discouraging would that be when you found yourself that you couldn't meet that standard, when you, when you, just, when you, couldn't, when you couldn't be as holy as, or as righteous as them? That would be, very, that'd be a terrible thing, and it wouldn't be helpful at all, and we know it wouldn't be honest. The most wonderful thing about these stories is, is the transgressions are laid bare for all of us to see so that we know that these are things that are common to men. The patriarchs fell and they were in the very presence of God. You know, it says that Abraham spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And look what he did. He lied. He didn't trust God about his sister or about his wife saying that she was his sister. And, you know, there, there were, he was a mortal man. That's very, very encouraging. I think it's important to, to, to lay it out like it is on this channel. I've always tried to do that, whether it was woodworking or making something or fixing something. Sometimes it just didn't work out. It, it, didn't, it did, didn't go as planned. You know, I don't have to show that. I control this edit. I control what you guys see. I can, I can curtail it. I can, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
What's the museum? What, what do museums do? My mind is blank. I control the, what you see. I can make myself look however I want to. I can, I can make myself look good like I never make any mistake, but I don't do that and I've not done that and I'm not going to do it with this either. If I mess up, if I fall short of the glory of God, I think it's important for me to share that. Um, and I would admire a guy that would do that. You know, so when people are on there saying, oh, what fine Christian character you're showing, this is just the reality, man. Sometimes we just reach our breaking point. You know, sometimes we just get pushed more, more than, than, we, we, than, than we can handle. And this idea or this notion that a man of God uh, is just this sinless creature that just walks in, in light and perfection and has no passion and never gets caught up in, the, in his emotions, never, never gets himself into a frenzy, never gets angry or retaliates, is nonsense. Are you, putting, are you trying to put a burden upon us that's heavier than God put upon the patriarchs? This is reality. Beloved, this is the way that it is. This is something that we all suffer with. And if you can see that with them, it was, you know, we're all in this together. I'm not any better than you guys are. And so I think it's important to, to, to share this. So the, that virtue signaling, and you'll see the, the worst sorts of Christians, that will bring them out of the woodwork, the ones that are lurking, that they're really quick. They're like, this is the opportunity I've been waiting for. Now we can attack him. We can attack his faith. See here, look at the sinner right there, you know. And right there, they're going against the teachings of the Bible. Right there. They're the ones that are doing things wrong. I did something wrong. I confessed it to my God. I made it public to you guys. I didn't have to do that. That was a choice. That was a choice. Look at the men that God used to do his work. Samson. How many men did he kill? He was a murderer, a violent man, a man of blood. David killed thousands, tens of thousands of men, and yet God said he was a man after his own heart. Committed adultery with his best friends or one of his best friends' wives, and then by his own hand sent his death sentence to his commanding general. I think it was Abner. A man after God's own heart. We have John the Baptist in and out of jail. We have um, John, or... Um, Yeah, John, I'm sorry, John, John from the, the, the disciple. Twelve-year sentence he was ser serving on the Isle of Patmos, and he wrote one of the most important, one of the most beautiful Gospels in, in the 66. God does not expect perfection from us, but he expects passion. You know, he says, I would rather you be hot or rather you rather be cold, but the fact that you're lukewarm, that's an offense to me. So I don't lift this up as the model for Christian character, but I've got my limits too, man. I can only stand so much. And, and my indignation for cops and for the abusive nature and, and what I've seen and what I've witnessed, especially in my hometown, it bubbles up. I, it's a righteous indignation. And how did I, did I react properly to it? You know, no, I did not. Uh, but I reacted, at least I did something. And, and I think having a passion for, for life, having a passion or a zeal for, for, for what it is. If your intention, I don't know. It, it's just, don't pay any attention to those people. You know, we're going to be real here and, and let them virtue signal. Let them be milk toast people. Let them sit on the fence and sit and criticize people that are actually in the, in the mud, trying to do the work, trying to reach people, because that's what's happening here. I wish I could share with you, gentlemen, the, the letters that I've been receiving this week. 
the, the personal messages of, of people that have drawn encouragement from this. And not because I have some great thing to say or, or that I'm some role model. I'm not a role model. But just knowing that they're not alone. Knowing that, that the Christian walk is difficult and we all struggle and we all suffer is important to people. And, and we're out here doing work. While the churches are singing to the choir and while they're looking down their nose and Bible thumping at people, you know, th this is how the work is going to move forward. I, I'm, I'm super excited. What I'm not excited about is lighting this lantern. Now, our good friend Overton sent me a little compilation of <laughs> that was pretty good, and I thought maybe we'll have to do this uh, once a month, uh, the thirty or is it the twenty days of uh, frightening lantern lighting? That uh... so I have decided to do something different today. We have right here the old, the original Forest Service funnel, solid copper. No vents, no nonsense. Let's see if we can, <laughs> let's see if we can have a successful lantern lighting, lantern lighting without uh, spilling our fuel here. Lots of pressure in there. You have some fuel? I don't know if we need to fill up. We'll be filling up tomorrow. We'll fill up tomorrow. Let's just get, we'll just get this one lit, and we'll see where it takes us. Isn't that beautiful copper funnel? Man, that's old school. You're not going to see that at the Walmart anymore. Brazed on there, probably silver solder, felt liner. Man, it's, it depresses me. It depresses me to see how far we've fallen how much better things used to be when men had pride in what they made. Everything that they made was the best it could be. And now it's just built to the least common denominator, just built to the absolute minimum uh, to get by. You know, that's a great, that, that, I, I think that that's a great sin. If you are working for a corporation, let's, let's take appliances, for example. Appliances now... I think it's been said, most of us agree, you, if, you, if you get seven years out of a major appliance, then you, might, you better consider yourself lucky. They're designed to fail. And people have said that for years. And there's been, I've watched YouTube videos on when electronics guys have went into for printers, for example, and found in the circuitry, it was designed after so many cycles or even so much time. I think even it was time. There's a there was a, a, a counter on there, a clock on there that this thing was designed to shut off and fail, even though it was working perfectly fine so that you were forced to go out and to buy a new one. You know, that's deplorable. We work hard for our money. When you buy something, you expect it to work to get what you pay for. Engineers and whoever's participating in this, this sort of these actions at that level um, are guilty of a great sin. That's theft. That's dishonesty. That's stealing. That's a violation of God's commandments right there. And I don't want... 30 pumps. I'm having more anxiety about this than getting in the cold shower in the morning. My cold shower this morning, it was, oh, it was the best. It was the best. So I've, I've learned the trick. How to, so today, for the first time, I did not experience cold, even though I had freezing cold water running on my body for three, three minutes. And what, it, what I did was it was mental. 
Yeah, there's probably some physiology. My, my body's getting used to it. You know, we're coming up on probably 14 days of doing this now. Maybe some of you have experienced. Let me know if you experience this. Have you experienced, are you to the point now with your cold showers where, where you're not really affected by it? It's in your head, man. It's in your head. I, I went in there this morning and, and I was resolved. I was resolved that this is happening. This, this is what we're doing. And I jumped in there and I concentrated. I was in the moment. I concentrated on the cold water on my skin and that sensation and how it felt rather than looking at the shower head and being miserable and feeling sorry for myself about how this cold, I had to deal with this cold shower. And the time goes by, three minutes felt like 30 seconds. Maybe, tw yeah, I mean, it felt like nothing. And now, instead of doing the silly little dance jumping around, you know, trying to get away from the thing, uh, I just sat there and I accepted it. I just accepted it. I just closed my mind. I, breathe, I was breathing, focusing on the experience, focusing on the tingling of the skin. And it was a, an amazing experience. And then to be able to go into that right into the workout, I mean, I just, I, I've, as I've said, it's hard to explain it, but it's like a meth, it's like a meth effect. It's like methamphetamines. And I know about methamphetamines back in the day, right? I know what that's like. And it's, but it's natural with no side effects. All day long, I just have all sorts of energy. I have, I'm inspired. Um, I have a lot more creativity. I have a desire, a passion for life that is uh, just, I haven't felt this way for 20, 30 years, long time, maybe since I was in my 20s. It's, it's astonishing. But man, come nine o'clock, no, about eight o'clock, eight o'clock, I hit the wall hard. <laughs> Mrs. W says, you've just been disappearing. Like, yeah, I'm done, man. I'm tea with the baby, and then I'm done. 7.45, 8 o'clock, I am in bed. Hopefully. All right, here we go. This infernal thing. Come on now. Come on now. Oh goodness! Like it's it's just like the it's like trying to work through that flinching I had when I was a boy. I I, I don't. It's got my goat. This thing. It's got my goat. But it it, it brings a hominess. You know, we we gotta have it. All right, hang on, gentlemen. I'll be right in there for your questions here. Let we'll get our infernal lamp going. Foul burning thing. Maybe I should introduce fuel quicker to it here. All right, well, that's burning off here. Let me jump in, jump in and grab some of these. Okay, we've got a super chat from Mr. Brian M. Shout out to you, Brian. It's always good to see you. Brian says, look forward to spill time more than almost anything in the day. Yeah, well, it's happening. Well, tomorrow we'll, be, we'll, we'll have a perfect opportunity to spill, but we'll be using the new copper funnel. Oh, don't make me light it twice. Come on now. What could be worse than that? Have to light the thing twice in one day. Goodness. Someone should really dodge, someone ought to really do something about this thing. Okay. Are we there? 
Not yet. It's still it's a finicky little thing. I think we got it, gentlemen. Lived and lived to tell another or lived another day to tell a story, huh? Good to shout out to you, Brian. Thank you for being here. We sure appreciate that. We've got a new member, David. Welcome, David, and congratulations, David. You are now in the inner ring, the circle of trust. Uh, I've been doing, I'm, and I'm going to be. Overton and I were talking this morning on the phone, and he's always he's been encouraging me this week. I was concerned about doing low quality videos. Like, you know, I don't want to just do stuff with my phone. I try to put out a good product on that. And he said, brother, it doesn't matter. It's actually better. We like it better. Just turn the phone on. If you've got something going on, turn it turn on, make that available to the members. And I'm doing that. Uh, I'm doing that. And I will be doing that. And I can share more things than I could being it open uh, because of the group. Uh, so I'll have something for you today. But thank you and welcome. Congratulations, and we're glad to have you. We sure do appreciate your support. And Silas Belcher, shout out to you. Welcome. Same goes to you. Glad to see you here. Thank you for joining the family. Uh, we are excited to see your new members badge. That's coming up. We have a super chat from Mr. Isaac Leonard. Thank you, Isaac. Shout out to you. And Isaac says, "Why not cut ties with Simply Safe? Of uh, why, why not cut ties with Simply Safe? Of co if cops are so bad." and they call the cops. Uh, put your money where your mouth is. The best man I know is a cop, and he risks his life to save others for awful pay. Well, that's anecdotal. I don't know, maybe he is or maybe he's not. Do you know what goes on? Do you know if he's ever falsified a report? When it comes to Simply Safe, I don't, I, that's got nothing to do with me, with the cops. The cops are so far away. There's only like two, at nighttime, there's only like two sheriff's deputies that are on staff for the whole county, and the county is massive. Why I use Simply Safe and what I want from it is I like the, act, the monitoring. I'm watching the cameras from my phone. I'm not calling the cops if they come. I'm going to be notified that someone's trying to break into my shop, someone's trying to break in the house, and I'm going to make a phone call to my neighbors, and they're going to come over here. So, I mean, that's, that's the way that I'm working with it. Now, if someone else, if you live in a city or you're a widow, you don't have these things to do, is that a good service? You know, I don't know, maybe. I, I, I don't see the conflict right there. So I, I know this is kind of a got you, but it is what it is. You know, this is, this is a service that I use. I have it on my shop. I've got it on my house. We've used it for a long time and I like it. They've been good to me. It works good. It does what I ask it to do. There's a lot of features. You can use some and use others. Just because you buy the system doesn't mean you're tied into it. So I don't know that this question is given in good faith, but um, I, I don't know I don't have anything to apologize for. I advocate it. I use it myself. I pay for the service. I don't get it for free. Um, and it is what it is. So, But thank you for getting that off your chest. Thank you for the super chat. We have a super chat from Mr. Jezza4300. Shout out to you, Jezza. And Jezza writes, I tell myself the water is warm day six of four minutes. You tell yourself the water's, it is not warm though, is it? <laughs> You're coming into the slipstream though. Day six, I, I think it was day five for the cold shower is when it really, I started to, to enjoy it. I'll tell you yesterday, yesterday was a hard one. Uh, it, it was harder for me. I, I kind of felt like I'd backslid a little bit. And it was because I... It, it's really important to have a clear mind, to be focusing and resolved to what you're going to do. I had you know, something that had happened uh, right before I went in there. Uh, it was a bit of a conflict, 
and, and, and you know that was unresolved. You know, so, so, so and I had my my mind w was not settled. My mind was was trying to work through this this difficulty that I was having to deal with, and so I couldn't get my mind off that. And to, and then when I jumped in that cold water. I wasn't able to focus because my mind wasn't on it and it was not great. I, I, was, I kind of felt like I was back to day three or so, but I did it anyway. The thing with the, the tick, the, the, the cheat code for life, whatever you're finding to do, whatever you're going to find to do is consistency. Because there's going to be times that you just don't want to do it. There's going to be times that you want to give up, that you're feeling weak and you can, you, you will, start engaging that critical thinking and you'll come up with all sorts of reasons why, oh, you know, <clears throat> I'm not feeling good or, or I'm so busy, I can't do this. No, you cannot have that. You have to do it every single day. I skipped one day and I justified it. It was, it was uh, the first Sabbath. The first, we keep this, the, the, the Saturday Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, Friday to sunset, Saturday to sunset. Well, it was easy to justify it. Oh, I woke up, you know, Sabbath morning and it's a day of rest for us. And, you know, we sleep in a little bit later and our day is, you know, is, is a lot more casual. And I'm like, oh, of course, you know, I'm not going not gonna to have to deal with that cold shower in the Sabbath. Well, I didn't do it and I missed it and I reviled myself the rest of the week and I, and I resolved that's not going to happen. This is what we do now. This is just like breathing. Uh, we need to breathe to live. We need to have cold showers to live and I'm in it 1,000%. I don't care how I'm feeling. I don't care if I'm sick. What I find is I've been waking up with headaches. I've never had a person that has headaches a lot in the last couple of weeks, and Mrs. W says the same thing. I can't figure out what it is. You know, nothing has really changed. Uh, diet hasn't changed. Um, been trying to drink a lot of water and such, but man, it's just, it, it, and I wonder if it's environmental. You know, is it, uh, is it something, who knows, man, I, I go down the conspiracy rabbit hole, but, uh, but what I find is this morning I had that headache again, and as soon as I resolved to do this and get in that cold shower, it's such a shock, and the Wim Hof breathing method, all of that, that um, it just goes away, it just goes away. There's a lot of people that claim that they don't even get sick anymore. And I'd be very interested to see that, because I always get the, the, the flu, you know, I always have to suffer the man flu once or twice a year through the winter, and that would be something to be able to not be sick again. We'll see. We'll see. There's a lot happening. I can, I can feel the physiolo physiological changes inside. My strength is increasing. My flexibility is increasing. Something I never thought would be possible. So what Wim had, I'm in week two of the 10-week program. So what happened when I, I'm on day, day three, day, day two or three of week two, so he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go do, do all the push-ups you can do. Do as many as you can do and write it down. Now, not, you're not going to exhaustion, but you're just going until it starts to hurt pretty bad. You know, start like, oh, you know, it's getting, getting pretty darn hard. You know, I might be able to rip out another five or six, but I'm not going to push it too hard. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be sore tomorrow. He said, write that down. So I did it, wrote him down. And he said, okay, now we're going to go through the breathing process, which takes about four or five minutes, right? And then, I was really surprised, at the end of it, he said, blow out all the air in your lungs. You've hyperventilated, you, you've, you've hypercharged, hyperoxygenated your, your body. Now, immediately go into the push-ups and do as many as you can. Now, this, was a, this is with no air in your lungs. And push-ups are pretty strenuous, as you, as you know. I could do one-third more push-ups than I could when I was 
breathing normally, doing normal push-ups. It's, that's astonishing. You know, that tells me there's something going on. There's something that he's teaching me to tap into that I didn't know was there. I used to be able to hold my breath for a little bit over a minute, maybe a minute and 15 seconds, and I'd give up because the pain was too great. From what I've learned in two weeks, I could hold my breath, I could hold my breath for three minutes now. And if I wanted to, to go th to fight through a little bit of pain, I could hold my breath for four minutes. That's astonishing. In two weeks. Astonishing. Goodness. We have a super chat from Mr. Mike Mack, a new member. Shout out to you, Mike. Thank you for your generosity and welcome to the family. He says, first live stream, I'm so glad to be here. I'm starting my homestead this year, trying to break free from the trappings of this world and lay a solid foundation for, the fa for my family and God bless. Yeah, that's what you need to do. And that's what, was, that's what was God really put on our heart, Mrs. W and I, when she was pregnant with Jack and we decided, you know, we don't want to raise a family in this environment. And that was, it was a lot better then, or maybe it wasn't better. I had the perception it was better then than it is now. God's people are being called out of the cities. You know, there's a precedence for that. You know, the story of Abraham and Lot is a, is a perfect example. Abraham and Lot, Lot was his nephew. When they, God called them out of his homeland and, and, and set him aside to establish a people that would be able to produce, produce a Messiah, they went out and they lived as, in the country as rural people outside of the cities. Well, the story has it that God really prospered those two men and their families grew and they had maids, manservants and women servants and, and they had, they were just, Abraham was so powerful, he had the ability to field his own personal army, as we see in the stories, right? So their families expanded tremendously. Well, it got to be, there started to be conflict and problem between his herdsmen. They started fighting over resources. There were only so many wells, and they were agricultural they had people. They had a lot of livestock, and, and men's, the men started fighting from each two families over water rights and different things. You know, nothing, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, Abraham caught wind of this, had his, lot, had his nephew Lot come over for a little powwow, and they sat, he sat down and said, look, we're getting too, it's getting too big. We're starting to have too many problems. I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I'm a magnanimous guy. You can pick wherever you want to go. Here's the land before us. If you decide you want to go this way, then you can have that land and I'll go this way. But you tell me, you get the first pick. And the, and the good book tells us that Lot cast his eyes and, and he, looked, picked, he saw the best watered land right on the precipice there of, um, was it Sodom? Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, I'll take that. It wasn't in Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was outside. You know, it, it probably bordered, bordered the city gates. So that's what they did. They divided and problem solved. Well, the temptations of, and the trappings of the city drew Lot's family into it. And go, he, he went from being a, a person that was completely independent and, and, and doing what he wanted to do, walking with God in the country, and it, it just the lure of the, and the temptation of the city just drew him in. You know, who knows what the influences were? Maybe, maybe it was his children. Maybe it was his wife, you know, thinking, oh, this is so much work and living in tents. Wouldn't it be nicer, Lot, if we could go and live in the city and have a nice stone house and, and things would be better and the security that comes with all of that? Well, what happened was Lot moved into that environment and, and it corrupted his family, corrupted everything. And he be basically became part of that. 
And if it hadn't have been for Abraham and the intervention of God, of pulling him and his family out of there, he would have lost everything. It's very dangerous, these cities. It's, 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 it's very appealing because of the excitement and everything that's going on, the convenience. You don't have to, you know, we think that that's the ideal, but it's not the way we were designed to live. It's a very difficult environment to live in. Everything that you look at, everything you behold when you live in a city like that, speaks to the speaks to the accomplishments of man. Everything's manufactured, all the buildings, the fences, the pavement, there's very little greenery. You know, you just, everything glorifies man and his accomplishments. Where you get out into the country, and when you look, you know, the good book tells us that everything, all of creation that speaks, it's a testimony of the greatness of God. It's a lot more difficult to have a relationship, a walk with God in an urban environment with all of the chaos and all of the temptations and the trappings than it is in a rural community, a more, more of a, a country setting. And God knew, knows this. You know, we were not designed to live like rats stacked up in these environments. It's very difficult. Now, not to say that there isn't a work to do there. There's good people, there's God's people in those cities doing good work. And it, you may be called to be doing that work. But what we, were called, what we felt is, you have to have a, a refuge. We live in a difficult, evil, uh, horrible world uh, th that um, will swallow us up. Uh, if you don't have a safe place, if you don't have a refuge where you can connect with God, that you can raise your children, you can insulate them, you can protect them from, from the fiery darts of the wicked one, it's very, very difficult. It's very, very difficult. Now, like Jesus did, you know, he was in the cities for a while, but he was only there for a short time. It was so draining on him, and it took so much out of him, he would retreat. He had to get away. He had to get away to a rural country place so he could spend time in prayer, so he could recharge, reconnect, re-energize himself so that he could go back into that sewer and do his work. We need to look at our, as our, ho at our homes that we build as Christian soldiers as forts of refuge, of, of forts of solitude from the wickedness of the world. Not to close yourself off from it. You know, it's very, very clear. Don't light your candle and put it under a bushel. Don't hide it, but put it out in the open so it can be a benefit to everyone. Be, be that light on a hill, but don't be part of that city. Have a place where your children are protected. Don't let the internet come in and, and corrupt them. Don't let the TV come in. Don't, don't let these, the, the, this wickedness come into your household and corrupt your children. Have a safe, as a man, as the priesthood of your house, you have an obligation to provide your family with a sanctuary that is peaceful in a, in a godly home. And you need to fight tooth and nail for that. You need to make sure that that's a priority. Then you'll be strengthened. Cover yourself with the armor of God. Go out, be armed with the Spirit, which is the Word, and then you can go out there and you'll be protected. But it, it will wear you down, and it's, uh, it's important. So that, that this message of rural living and country living that is resonating, you, you feel it inside of you, is God calling you out of the cities. Uh, it's important. You need to have that, that, that sanctuary to protect you and your family so that you can do His work. Thank you, Mike. I sure appreciate that. And, and congratulations for you to do that. That takes a lot of courage. To, to pick up from everything you've known, leave family and friends, uh, and, and, and respond to the calling of God. You know, Christ told us, if you're not willing to leave your husband, your wife, your mother, your daughter, you know, in this, we're talking about a situation where they're antagonistic or they're trying to prevent you 
from responding to God. If you are not willing to give them up for the gospel, then you're not strong enough, you're not worthy to, to accept it. And so you might as well just stay where, where you're at. And it takes courage to do that, I understand. We had a lot of pressure from our family uh, that did every, you know, were, were not supportive at all. And they, and they, were, they were definitely clear, clear about that. You know, they couldn't understand, you know, why would Mrs. W had a job her, uh, that she'd worked so hard for, you know, graduate school and beyond and six-figure income, as I've said. They just couldn't understand. What, why would you give that up? You know, and, and it's, they, they, I think they see it now. I, ho I hope they see it now. But had she not given that up, our son would have been in daycare, thrown into public school, into that sewer. And who knows what would have happened? You know, who knows if we would even be married? So it, it was important. You know, we knew right off the bat that it was, we had to get out. We had to make sacrifices because family is important to us. And, and we all make sacrifices. I just, people tell me all the time, oh, we can't do it. You know, we can't afford to homeschool. We, I can't afford to have my wife stay home. That may be the case. It's not everyone's going to be able to do it. But I think most people, if we were to go there and do a, an audit of their lifestyle of the last year and, and where their priorities lay, I'll bet we could cut some fat. I'll bet you don't have to have two cars. I'll bet you don't have to have a Netflix account. I bet you could downsize into a smaller house. I'll bet you could go to a place that was more, more affordable. It's about choices. It's about priorities. And those of us who are responding to God, we hear this and we realize that, that nothing is more important, not careers, not houses, not cars. The most important thing is for us to connect with God and to raise our children and have a godly home. Shout out to you, Mike. Congratulations. That takes a lot of courage to do that. Welcome, Jamie. Good to see you. Jamie's a new member as well. He says, any updates on the new shop? Uh, good to see you again. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I said I was going to do this last week and I forgot. I'll put a little video up for members. Uh, it's all done. Um, we're actually, Jariah is doing some research. So what I, I think I mentioned this last week. This is going to be my shop for now. But one thing that's been difficult for Jariah, Jariah is my manservant, he helps me around here, is he doesn't have a place to work inside. Uh, and I don't want him to be out in the elements and stuff. It's, you know, when you're working, when you have a job, it's nice to have a place where you can sit down at your own, you can have your tools and a, a place you can have your lunch and not be disturbed and such. So that's kind of what we're setting up for him. So we're putting a bay, we've got a bay open over there. We'll get his workbench over there. We'll get his tools over there. And he's researching heaters. So we're going to put a, a heater up there so he's got a heated space. But it's all done. All the doors are on it and everything. So I'll try to get over there and do a little, a little walk around for you guys to see that. But it turned out nice. We've got some nice garage doors on it. We have a super chat from Jim. Shout out to you, Jim, and welcome. Thank you for your generosity. And Jim writes, asked me if I've heard of Dr. Frederick, Frederick Grave, Jurisdictionary legal course. For $250, you get the ABCs and 123s of law. I'm not a salesman or great authority, just thought I'd share it with everybody. Yeah, I had not heard of that. Uh, that might be a good resource. Maybe one of, the, uh, one of the middlemen can jump over there real quick and take a look at that. And if that looks good, we can throw that up in the link. But that sounds good. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot, of, uh, there's a lot of things you can do. You know, my dad was really good about that. Um, he, I remember there was, a, there was a cop, I think I was 17, that um, lied on, I don't remember what he did. It was something, he tried to get me 
I broke my, tr I think my truck had broken down or something on private property. He tried to get me for trespassing or just, it was just a malicious, vicious cop uh, and wrote and was trying to get me in trouble. And there was a bunch of things, you know, it could have really affected my future and stuff. And I remember my dad said, no, we're not, we're, we're going to fight this. Um, and we, we went to the law library, went to Lewis and Clark Law Library. And uh, we got the books out and uh, we didn't know we, what we were doing and, you know, actually made a case for ourselves and went out over there and, and he helped me beat that case. So, you know, and that, it's hard to do. I mean, it, it, I, I wouldn't even, that, that's how my dad was. I, I don't think I would have ever tried to take that on or even thought that I was capable of that, but that was the mindset that he had. And he, um, to have something like this, it's a resource for you. I know that um, some people that I've grown up with have pre, had used prepaid legal that uh, you prepay in the event where you might have a dip, if you have a trouble that you have the ability to call an attorney. I know some people that have had good luck with that. I haven't used it personally, but yeah, in these times, it sounds like it would be a good idea. But thank you for that suggestion. We have a super chat from Mr. Josh Connor and four year member. Shout out to you, Josh. And Josh writes, thank you for the members only content. Love what you're doing. Yes. And I'm going to be doing more of that. You can thank Overton and the middlemen for that. They've encouraged me just Put it up. We don't care if it's cell phone camera. I'm going to be doing that. We'll be sharing a lot more of that. It would be nice in a perfect world is if we could move everything uh, to private content uh, where it was just us um, and not have to deal with the ads and all that sort of thing. But dare to dream, right? Dare to dream. It could happen. It could happen. We have Spartan219. Good to see you back, Spartan. Spartan's always been very faithful. Appreciate, appreciate having you here. He says, what are your thoughts on natural medicine like Kratom and wild lettuce, and should homesteaders prepare? Keep some on hand for emergencies. Yeah, you know, that's, I'm ashamed to say that's the area that I really have a deficit that I, I just don't understand these things. You know, natural remedies, natural herbs and such. Mrs. W is a little bit more up on that, but I can't really speak to that. I mean, I don't really, I don't really know anything about this. I do know the importance of knowing where your food comes from. You know, there, it's, there's been in the news the last couple days, these companies, these corporations, these, these big, you know, the big 500 are, you know, they are, they do not care about our health. Uh, and it seems, I've always kind of thought in the past that, well, we have the FDA that's going to protect us, right? If they try to do something shady and you know, they, I would never thought that they would try to do things shady, you know, it'll get caught there and uh, they'll make sure that our food supply is safe. Well, we're finding out now that that is not the truth at all. This last uh, look into the Simply Orange Juice, there's a there's a big I think it's a class action lawsuit going right now. And that's a, that the parent company is Coca-Cola. They're putting uh, toxins in there that far, far exceed uh, the, the levels, and it's the same type of thing that they put in those nonstick pans that is being put in the food supply. And you wonder how many things are, are being put in the food that, that are not good for us, that are even destroying our health. And we've never known. We've always just kind of trusted the system and trusted the FDA and, and government regulation and stuff. Well, that is not, that's not something we can trust anymore. They're, they're all in bed together. If you didn't, haven't realized it now, you, if you think that the government, the Democrats and the Republicans are, are what's really in charge of this country and really making policy, then you are completely deceived because the system is different. The pyramid is different. The corporations sit on top. The government is underneath and we're on the bottom. The bottom feeder is getting all the garbage. The corporations 
are the ones making policy. They own the politicians. The politicians are just um, duped or just stooges for these corporations. They're not to be trusted. What I'm getting around to and what I'm say, trying to get, the point I'm trying to get across is that we need to, to know where our food comes from and have, take back some control over that. We've gotten used to having all these choices. We've gotten used to having all, acts, all this access. If you go to the grocery store, you'll see right now that that is evaporating. In our area, a third of the shelves are, sometimes are barren. They're, they're moving stuff around. They're trying to make it look like they're full. But, but if you look around and see that the selection is going down rapidly, and I think that that's just fine. That's going to force people, and, and the price increases are going to force people to, to look at other methods, and that's going to be growing your own food. You're going to have to start doing that, not because you want to, but because you're just not going to be able to afford organic and fresh produce. And the, if you want to eat healthy, if you want to have a clean body and a clean mind, you've got to stay away from these processed foods. They're just toxic to you. God has not made things difficult. He's not... Everything is really, really simple. You don't need to drink anything other than water. You can get by on water. If you have a well, you don't need milk. You don't need soda. You don't need coffee. You don't need energy drinks. Water is fine. He's provided that. That's all that you need to survive. You can be perfectly fine there. It doesn't cost anything. You can very, very, very little. If you've ever planted a garden, you, it's astonishing how much it will produce with very, very minimal effort. I mean, you've got to put some seeds in, you've got to plant a couple blueberry bushes, put a little water on it with the hose, but really you don't have to do that much. Maybe put a fence about it, and it produces abundantly. Yes, you have to get out there, you have to toil a little bit, you have to till the soil a little bit, but it's not that big of a deal. And if you have a 50 by 50 garden, that's enough to produce produce for your entire family and your neighbors. If you just put a little bit of effort in, it just comes out of the ground. It's astonishing. So. We have lost this. We have, don't, have forgot about this. We just think, oh, food has to come from the grocery store. No, it has. But I wonder if this isn't a great blessing, this inflation, this, um, the cost of food rising. It's going to force God's people to get closer to the source. And when you start growing your own food, you know where it comes from. It comes right out of the ground. It's going to affect your health. It's going to be better. It's going to be, you're going to save money. It's just going to be, it's just the way that we need to live. It's almost as if God is goading us that way. We didn't want to do it. We knew the message, but we wouldn't respond to it. Now we have to. It's not giving us a choice. So he doesn't, never takes away anything from us without replacing it with something better. But you will have to put the work in. You can't just let it sit around and toil like the daisy and think someone's going to bring it to you. It's going to fall in your lap. You've got to put the work in, but not that much work. Thank you, Spartan. I wish I knew more about medicines. We have a, a new member, David. Shout out to you, David. And David writes, maybe we could do a prayer together at the end and some messages uh, to focus on for thee. Yeah, I'll think about that. I think about that. You know, I, I don't, I used to do that. It, that's what everyone does to, to do a, a public prayer like that. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I prefer, I, I think that that's a very intimate, I think it's a very intimate thing when you, when you kneel down and you, and you, you go to talk to your, your father, uh, that that needs to be a very personal uh, thing where you can really focus on. And I don't know that I can really focus on that. I, I might say the words, um, 
and that can be misconstrued. You know, how many, there's so many people, you know, there's, I guess what comes back, to, when I think Jesus gave an example of, he was in Jerusalem, and, and he was talking about, when he's talking about that to the Pharisees, he's like, you, you guys, you come out here, you put on these big fancy robes, you wear these giant phylacteries on your head. So a phylactery, a phylactery was a small wooden box that, um, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and such would, would, would wear. I think they would wear them on their arms. They would tie them on their arms and they would tie them on their heads. And inside that phylactery would be, uh, phylactery would be uh, prayers or scripture, verses from the Torah, whatever they would put in there. They, what they did is they literally took, you know, the, from, from, the, from the Torah, where, where God taught them, he said, take, take my law and, and write it upon your heart. You know, he, he, was, giving, he was giving kind of a, a, a visual of, think about the commandments all the time. Throughout your days, you're going through your day, recite the, the teachings of Jesus. Recite the teachings of God so that they're constantly on your mind. So you're always thinking about them. They're always a reminder to you of God's love and God's promises. You know, keep, keep that close to your heart. Well, they took this literally and they took the, the, the prayers or the, the Bible verses or the Torah verses and they put them in wooden boxes and they tied them to their heads and they tied them on their arms. And Jesus rebuked them. He's like, you guys do this thing so so that you look pious, so you look holy. You uh, wear these elaborate garments. You, you, these phylacteries are getting bigger. You're getting these ornate hymns on, you know, you, you're making a spectacle of yourself. You're trying to make yourself as noticeable as possible. You're wanting to say to everyone, you want a virtue signal, look how holy I am. Praying in public and bowing and they would anoint themselves when they were fasting with oil running down their face. I mean, just absolutely making themselves as noticeable as could be. He says, don't be like them. You know, ha they have their reward right there. Everyone, all the ignorant look at them and think, oh, look how pious they are. Look how holy they are. Because I tell you, you know, I don't, I don't hear that. That's not you, the way you do it. Jesus told us, when you, when you go to pray to God, you do it privately. Go into your closet, close the door. And connect with me. Have a conversation with me. May build a friendship with me. You don't need to do this in public all the time. Now, if someone wants to do that, I'm not going to condemn them. I'm not, I don't have a bad word to say about it. But I, I just don't like it. I, I don't. Um, we're clear. Everyone knows where we stand here. Everyone knows who we follow. That we, we, that we follow Christ. That we're armies of God. We're in the army of God here. We don't need to do it publicly. Um, I could be wrong on that. And if I am... You know, I'll, I'll adjust my, my attitude, but as for now, that's the policy I'm going to take. But thank you for the suggestion. I, I know you did it out of kindness, and you may be right. You could be right. We have a super chat from Doc Colony. Shout out to you, who says, uh, your, your disdain for boomers, why not the greatest generation as well? They retired on debt of the military-industrial complex and Cold War pensions. No, I don't see it that way. You know, the boomers hold 60% of the wealth in this country, and, they're, and they, they're just notorious for hoarding it. The boomers can take their reverse mortgages, and they can just go away. The boomers, by and large, left nothing for my generation. They consumed everything. 
Uh, they didn't uh, give us um, a, a good start. Not that they were entitled to give us anything, but you know, back in the day, a man would work hard to provide for, for the future, for, uh, provide, uh, to build a legacy, to provide for his children. Build a farm, start a farm, build a building, and then have something, cut off a piece of land and, and hand that down to his son. And his son would ultimately take possession of this. And then his son would build a, a, you know, a milking parlor or, or put in an irrigation ditch, ditch. And then that was passed on to his son. And then after 10, 20 generations, you have a family that it's set up for life. They have a, a, a legacy is fulfilled. They have a good start in life. They have a piece of land that they can get going on. That's the way that it was. How many boomers have left anything or, or have helped my generation to get a good start? Very, very few. They're still right now, you know, there's stories of, of them rather than helping their kids get through school or helping them get started with something or work to, to pr provide for them a piece of land, they put in a $90,000 kitchen remodel or they've spent who knows on their car collection. And, and then the worst thing about it is that then they sit back after, being benef after benefiting from the country that was built by the greatest generation and then cast dispersions at the kids saying, well, you just need to get out there and work harder. You just need to get out there and, uh, uh, and, and pull yourself up by your bootstraps like we did. Well, when they did it, you could buy a house for $40,000. A man that was working at a furniture store or bagging groceries and in the income, he could support a family on it. And they have no idea. They're so out of touch. And they think and they look down upon our generation and their grandchildren. It's like, well, you're just not working hard enough. You're just lazy. You know, do it like we did. Completely oblivious to what's going on. They're so out of touch and so disconnected from reality that it is, rubs people the wrong way. And that's why we're pulling away from them. They've, se seem, they've been very greedy. And reverse mortgages... I mean, so let's say you had a house. Let's say they had a house. How, many, how much of this is going on that was paid for? And it should be paid for because it was probably been given to them by the greatest generation, right? And they, and they got to enjoy that. Well, rather than preparing at the end of their days to pass this on to their family, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to take out a reverse mortgage. We're going to destroy all of the equity that we've had in this so that when we die, we leave our family, our children with nothing. It's... It's terrible. It's terrible. We have a super chat from Brave Sig 8. Shout out to you, Brave Sig, who writes, If you like cold showers, you will love jujitsu. I'm going on five years strong now and do not see myself ever stopping. Having grappling skills on hand is nice, a nice option uh, to go with the G19. Yeah. That's just not a possibility for me because I, I live in such a remote area. There is, there's no one around that does that. Um, yeah, I, I would probably be involved in that. I was in, you know, I was in wrestling when I was in school, uh, and I really enjoyed that. I probably would, but it's just not an option. And I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not, um, I'm not I, I don't so much get involved in, in things like that. I've always kind of been solitary. But I have heard the same thing. I know a lot, it would be a very good skill to have. I know a lot of people really enjoy it. I'll just rely upon my G19 and my ability to run fast. Shout out to you. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. We have a super chat from George Remington. Shout out to you, George. And George writes, 
Just wanted to thank you for these streams uh, and ask a little advice. I was wondering if you would know a place to homestead in Western Oregon. Western Oregon. Well, the best place, let's see, I can't say the best place. Um, Western Oregon, Western Oregon. The places you want to stay away from, of course, are going to be Portland, Eugene, and that whole I-5 corridor. Um, the nice thing about Western Oregon is, is there's, uh, it's such a great place. There's going to be almost an unlimited supply of water. There's going to be, uh, it's, it's, there's so many nurseries. I think there's more nurseries there than anywhere else because the climate in the Willamette Valley is so conducive, so good for growing things. You just basically drop seeds on the ground and everything will grow. Uh, the problem with Portland and Oregon is going to be the politics. You know, that's the same thing with Washington as well. And the big issue and the big point of contention, as we spoke to the other day, is these liberal leftist cities making policy for the entire state. Now, these states are massive. Oregon and Washington are some of the bigger state, biggest states in the country. And you have a very small congregation of people at the capitals that are voting, you know, very antagonistic against the Second Amendment, are very much, you know, with the typical left in politics, and they're making policies, and when those policies roll out, they affect everyone in the state. Well, folks out that are on the eastern side or more in the rural areas, they don't, we don't like that. You know, we, we don't, we're not interested in your utopia. Uh, it's just not, we can see, you know, here you are living in a sewer, and you want us to live in that same sewer as well. So, so if you are close to those areas, you're going to be subject to that sort of people, that mindset, and I would avoid it. I, I would probably stay away from Western Oregon uh, for the most part. Even if you go onto the coasts, which are a little bit more conservative, you still you have so many people with second homes and traveling back and forth. You're just going to get caught up in all of that and all of those politics. If I were looking at moving out west, I would take the Cascade Range. The Cascade Range now runs from Canada, you know, down into California, you know, down towards the Sierras and so, and it's, it's like a, a mini Rocky Mountain. You know, we have the big Rocky Mountains and then we drop down through Montana and such and then come up, you know, we have the Cascade Range, the volcanoes, Mount Fuji, right? I would stay on that eastern slope of the Cascade Range and that could be Oregon or Washington. It's very, very nice. What you have is you have a transition forest right there. You don't have to deal with the insufferable rain that's, that's nonstop because what happens is that rain comes in off the coast and it's wet, so wet through, through Oregon, Washington, Seattle, Oregon. It rains all the time. It's gloomy. And it comes up and it hits the Cascade Range and kind of stops it. It's kind of a bulwark there, but a little bit slops over on the eastern slope and keeps it green and watered. So you have the beautiful uh, conifer forest, you have the western red cedars and the Douglas firs and the grands and the ponderosas on a little bit on the, on the plains rolling out to the east. But it's a very thin strip, about 10 miles or so. It's called a, it's a transitional area. And that's the sweet spot. You get 300 days of sunshine a year. It's sunny all the time, really good growing seasons. You get, but you don't have to deal with all of that rain but you're not dry and arid. So it's a very small thing. So I would, what I would look at when Mrs. W and I, you know, we put a lot of work into this and researched and looked at so many places. That's what we decided on. And that's really a sweet spot. So take that Cascade Range, you know, look at Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens, Mount Adams, Mount Hood, etc., And on that Eastern slope, anywhere up and down that area is pretty nice. The, a good idea, is if you can settle in Washington, because Washington has no state sales tax, 
but to the southern border of it. That way you can go over into Oregon if you have big purchases and you can, you can shop where they're, um, excuse me, Oregon has no sales tax. Live in Washington where there's no income tax <laughs> and then shop on the other side, you can save some money for big purchases like that. So that's what I would do. Thank you, George, and good luck with your move. Man, that's exciting. It's very exciting. It's, it's a scary, it's a frightful thing, but it's a very exciting thing to do. We have a super chat from Luscious Lunk who writes, look into mushroom foraging in your local area. Yeah, we do that. The mushroom hunting here is very, very good. We have, well, there's everything. There's actually, there's so much mushroom hunting just five minutes north of here. There's actually, as the seasons come through, the morels and the chanterelles, and, and I don't know all of them, there's, there's everything here. Uh, there, there's mushroom buyers. There are actually people that make a living doing that. There's a lot of the Native American tribes that come down from the Yakima Nation, and they do huckleberries, and they do a lot of wild edibles and wild mushrooms, and the buyers go down there, or, or they set up there, and they buy from them. So you can actually go up there and buy anything you want fresh out of the forest. It's one of the most enjoyable activities I've ever done. That's one of the things, one of the very first things that I want to do is when we, when we get the community center opened up and we have the ability to start hosting folks is we're going to do that. Now, I'm not the mushroom expert. I know two mushrooms. I know chanterelles and morels, and I, I don't mess with any of the other ones. But there are a lot of people, and my sister's pretty good at it too. Maybe she would even come and lead us on that. But I would like to do that. You have to be ready to move quickly because when the, when the rain comes, they sprout out. You got to get out there and do it. But it is so fun to take you guys up into the, the old growth forest, the big dug firs where the trees are eight, nine feet at the bowl. It goes through those ancient forests. They're just magic. And finding those little mushrooms, it, it's super, super fun. Even if you don't like mushrooms, and I don't, I don't eat them. I, I don't like them, but I like the hunt. And it's amazing. They're spaced just perfectly. Just imagine when you were a kid, how fun it was to have an Easter egg hunt. You know, we used to do that at the church I grew up at, and then I re remember doing that. It's the perfect amount where there are not so many that you get bored, but they're, they're spaced out just right when, just when you start to think, oh, you know, I, I, am I going to find any? You crawl over an old mossy log, and there's like this beautiful little golden patch of, of chanterelle mushrooms. You get there, and you cut them off with your... I mean, it's, it's magical. It's really, really fun. It's a, it's a great process. We used to do that all growing up with my granddad. He, you know, he, was a, he grew up in the Depression, and I remember uh, I was, used to play soccer. I was probably in the sixth, seventh grade, and they would come to my soccer games, my granddad and my, and my nana. And at one place that we used to play all the time, as you drove in, there was a, a grove of beautiful, I always forget if it's English or black walnuts, whichever one is the good one, the edible version. But they were massive. I mean, they must have been six, seven feet at the bowl. And in the fall time, they, they were, there were so many of them, they would just fall down on the ground. And I remember my granddad, when he saw that, when he saw food going to waste, he just couldn't help himself. He's like, he, he told me, he said, we'll, be, we'll go back. We're going to go pick up those walnuts, and we're going to can those walnuts. And that was such a wonderful thing. It was such a, a great childhood memory. So... I remember we loaded up in his car. He had an old Galaxy 63, 64, 63 or 64 Galaxy 500 four-door silver. The trunk was so big you could put 10 people in the back of it. Drove down there with my granddad and the whole family, and we uh, just 
grabbed bushels of those things, everything that was on the ground. He just could not tolerate things being wasted or food being wasted. We got those, filled up that whole trunk of his car <laughs> with those walnuts, went back to his house, and him and I, he had always had a wood stove outside. And he, we fired up his wood stove, and then we built these big drying racks out of some old um, expanded metal and made wood frames. And we took those walnuts, and we laid those, and we dried those. We just dried those things for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then we took the husks off, and we put those in the jars. And we always had walnuts, and we always went back and did that. And any time that he found, he found food... He just, uh, he, being wasted, he just couldn't stand it. You know, he knew what it was like to be hungry. He grew up in Oklahoma during that depression, and they went without. He told me it was so pitiful. He said, you don't know poor until you, I saw what true poverty was. He said there, was, there were families that were so poor when he was going to school as a boy in the one-room schoolhouse that they didn't have food for lunch. And these poor little kids would show up with a piece of half moldy bread with a little sparrow that, that they had caught or shot out of the barn with a slingshot. That's all they had to eat was a sparrow sandwich. Can you imagine that? Can you even imagine? So that made a huge impression upon him. Um, and he never wanted to experience that again. So that's why he saved things. That's why I have that big bolt box collection. When he worked his whole career, whenever he did a transmission rebuild or a brake job, you know, when parts would come in, uh, new parts, or ex, you know, sometimes you have extra bolts. He saved everything. When he replaced it, when he took a starter off of a car, he didn't throw it in the garbage. He brought it home until we had a big 55 gallon drum full, of, a barrel full of starters. And we would sit down there by the wood stove, him and I, when I was a boy, and break those things open and get all the copper windings out of them. Pull the stators out, unwind all the copper. You know, that's a lot of work. They got all that potting on there and that glue and stuff. And we would take all that stuff. And then he built a kind of a, a crucible deal where we would put it in the wood stove and melt, melt, melt the cop, you know, all the insulation and stuff off the copper. And we, he would save that stuff for the whole year. And then we would take it up into Northeast Portland to Zeusman's Metal. I remember Zeusman's Metal. So we'll take it up there to the Jew Zeusman. He was a Jewish guy that owned the place. And we would sell the steel and all the axles. And he saved everything like that. And it was a different mentality, different mindset. You could not leave, you could not leave food on your plate if you went out to eat with granddad. Um, first off, as kids, you know, we, we, we were spoiled. Oh, I don't want to eat my plate. I don't want to eat this. He would, you eat your, eat your food, and if we couldn't eat it or just wouldn't eat it, he would eat it. I assure you that when we left that restaurant, uh, there was not any food on that table. That's the way he was. That's the way he was. We have a new member. Michael Grubb, shout out to you, Michael. Thank you, appreciate that. And get ready to enjoy the benefits. And William Cordell, thank you, William. Thank you for, our, for supporting us. And Dylan, goodness, three brand new members. I'm gonna do something nice for you guys today as a thank you uh, to all of you. So um, look for that, you'll get the notification, members only. You're in the inner ring, the, the circle of trust. We have a super chat from Kent Martin. Thank you, Kent. And William Cordell, and new member. Welcome, William. William writes, been watching several years. Please forgive me as I'm from Northwest Florida. I, you don't have, there's nothing to forgive here. As I've been fond of saying, it, the salvation of this country might just come out of Florida. It might be Florida man. As I've said, he's ungovernable, uh, and he's not going to put up with any nonsense. Florida man can hunt. 
he can fish, he can trap, uh, and he can disobey authority. <laughs> so, and he's got a good governor, right? He's got a good governor. Mr. DeSantis is uh, crushing over there from what I see. Hopefully he's not controlled opposition, which you never can tell. But shout out to you, William. Thank you for your generosity. And congratulations for becoming a member. We have a new, a new member, also Dylan. Welcome, Dylan. Thank you. That's very generous of you. And Dylan writes that he's finally become a member after years of viewing. Thank you for guiding me towards Christ and towards self-reliance. Uh, truly helped me make, truly helped me make who I am today. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, my biggest concern, you know, when I, when I, when I pray, uh, in the morning, something that I'm really concerned about is I say, God, don't let me do or say anything that would give your enemies a reason to, to cast, cast doubt on the gospel. I don't, I, ha, I, I understand the responsibility that comes from standing up here publicly and professing these things. I know I'll be held to a higher standard. I know I'll be judged, there'll be more expected of me. You know, we have the story of, of, Christ gave us the story of the talents. You know, he gave one, two, and one, three, and one, five, or ten, whatever it was. And the one that he gave more to, the more was expected. And, and I understand that. And um, I will make a commitment to you to, to try to remain faithful in that. Now, I know I, I, I have got up and had held particular beliefs, and I've thought things back in the day when we were first doing live streams that I, I see now where I was in error. And I, I, I worried about that for a long time, you know, and, and have I led people astray or what, when I was on the wrong path to get up here publicly and, and to be so confidently um, um, share, sharing these things, you know, am I leading folks astray? And, and, you know, the impression that I've got from reading and studying is that, you know, when we were in, if we're in error like that, but we're sincere, you know, God will wink at our transgressions. I think, I know, I believe that God judges by the sincerity of the heart. It's not so much you do, it's more of what, what is your motivation? What, what are your intentions? And are your intentions for good? Are your intentions there to help further the gospel, to help lead people to Christ? And I, I hope that was always been my intention and never to, to self-aggrandize or to put myself up on a pedestal as being a holy or pious person that I am not. I am, I, I'm, I, I, in many ways, are in wor a worse situation than you guys that have not walked with Christ because I've tasted the goodness and I've understood what it's like to be close to Him and enjoy, to enjoy that peace. And I have backslid and I've fallen away, you know, more than once. I've ridden that roller coaster before. And that, I don't have the excuse. So I'm really careful with that. You know, I'm, I'm not a holy person, I'm not a perfect person. And God has put it upon my heart. If you make a mistake, share it. Uh, if you fall short or you do something wrong, share it. But the important thing, the, mo the most important thing is, is that whatever I'm doing, whatever we're sharing here, whatever I'm saying, is done out of sincerity. Now, if a new revelation comes along, or a new understanding, or a bit of information that I didn't have before that completely, that maybe nullifies something that I believed in the past, I'm not going to be dogmatic and stick, stick to that out of pride and, and keep that from you or like, oh, I'm ashamed to go back. I, I'm, I have to do a 180 on something that I've been talking about for years now because I was in error. God has shown me the, way, the truth of this. 
I'll, I'll, I'll just, we'll, we'll just take it on that way. And there's a lot of folks waiting in the winds looking for things like that. And, and they're wanting to throw the label hypocrite on you. You said thus and so, and here you are doing that. Well, the only thing we can do is if we're going down the wrong path, if you're driving in a car and, and you, you're trying to get to your destination and you're just 100% convinced that you're going there, and the pretty soon you see the road markers and the signs where you're getting further away from the area that you wanted to go, you know, do you continue, do you hammer down and just keep going, saying, no, I, this is the way we're going, you know, I put my hand to the plow and this is what we do, are we going to be dogmatic about it? No. you got to stop, even if it, to the embarrassment of in front of your children and your wife, hey, I've been going the wrong way. This isn't correct. I thought it was, I was but, but it's not, and now I understand it. We need to do a 180. So there may be changes. You know, we need to be progressive in that way. A progressive man is, is a man that is willing to realize that he's been doing something wrong and to make a change. And there's going to be a whole bunch of the worst sorts of people that will use that as an opportunity to jump on them and criticize them and throw the label of hypocrite on them. We're, re we're reacting to the knowledge that we have. And it should be no surprise in these latter days. You know, God told us that in the end times, knowledge will increase. And Paul told us, you know, now you see through a glass dimly, which is a beautiful way, image to put it, that we're, we're trying to see where we're going. We're trying to get to the kingdom. We're trying to get to God, right? And he says, you know, it's, he, he likens it into, we're looking through a, a spotting scope, but it's, man, it's not focused. We just can't see it. We can see some images. We can see darkness and light, and we're trying to head in that direction. And all we can do is set a course and go the best way that we can. Well, we were told in the final days that that, 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 is gonna, that looking glass that, that, that where we don't see things clearly, it's going to start to clear up. Things are going to start to snap into focus, that knowledge is going to increase. There are, it's happening to me, it's happening to you, it's happening to a lot of people. There are scriptures that we've read and followed our entire life that we were just absolutely determined and convinced that we understood what this meant. Well, it's, not maybe, it's looking that maybe we were wrong on some of those things and that God is bringing our, giving us an, a supernatural understanding. He's opening the scriptures. He's opening our minds. He's showing us things that we haven't seen before. And who's going to react? Are you just going to ride that? Are you just going to ride or die? Everything that you believed, your dogma, whatever your teachings of your pastor was against new information or new insights? No, we're not going to do that. We're not perfect people. We're just trying to get to the kingdom. We're trying to get there. And, and I'll be honest with you. I'll be sincere. And if we understand something we've been doing is wrong, we'll make a direction, even if it's 180, and, and that's the way we'll go. So fortunately, we have the scriptures. We can test everything against that. And it's important to stay connected prayerfully. And uh, we'll, we'll get there, brothers. We'll get there. We just have to hang on and do the best we can and trusting that God is merciful and that he will wink at our transgressions and that he will look, hopefully, he will look, uh, inside and see what your motivation was. My, my motivation is to point people to Christ, not to bring um, glory or honor upon myself. If I wanted to do that, then I wouldn't be sharing the things that I do wrong. Um, it's important that we do. It's important that we're honest. There'll be no liars in the kingdom. We have a super chat from Verdon. We'll just, we'll just say, we'll stop with Verdon. I don't know if I can pronounce that last name. He says, what life advice would you give an 18-year-old? I would give myself, an 18-year-old, I, uh, I would tell myself, don't put any time in girls right now. Don't date. Don't get involved with them. Don't let them get you off your mission. Decide what it is that you want to do. 
What is your, if you were to ask yourself, if you could sit there as an 18 year old, where, what is my passion? What do I enjoy doing? Like if I have some off time and I, I'm not obligated to do chores or do the will of my parents, what is it that I enjoy doing? Do I like computers? Do I like working in the wood shop? Do I like riding motorcycles? Do I like working on cars? Whatever that is, you'll know what it is you're passionate about. Your passion, where your heart is, is where you spend your time. That, that is always a good indicator as to, as to what, what you like to do and, and what you enjoy, what, what interests you. So narrow that down and then find how can you turn that into a, the ability to start a business or get a good job uh, and make yourself a good living at that and focus on that. Focus on being the best you can. Everything you find your hand to do, do it the best you can. Honor God in everything that you do and ask God for help with that. But put away the girls and don't just, it's going to be difficult, but put it away. That time will come. You'll find that the quality of woman that you're able to get and just the, the, the better decision, the better your ability to make a proper, a well, a proper decision at 27, 28 compared to 18, it's astonishing. Uh, you, I mean, at 18, I thought I knew everything. At 30, I realized I knew nothing. Work on your grind, get yourself established. Get a piece of property, get your home built or buy a home, get yourself established and focus on what you do. You know, you, if you did that, you could be done working or get yourself in a position where you could pick and choose whatever you want by the time you were 40 instead of going and being a wage slave or being under the thumb of someone else or being involved in multiple divorces and all of that because you followed your hormones and you couldn't get a hold of your biology. I know I'm an old boomer talking about this, but it's, it, that's what I would tell myself. Get yourself established. Do not put any resources towards these girls or women until you get that established. Get a home, get some land, become independent, then you'll have your pick. You'll have your pick of the litter and you will be in charge. That's the advice that I would give you. Stay away from girls. Shout out to you, Verdon, and good luck. May God bless you. It's difficult. 18-year-old right now, it's difficult for you but not impossible. You have unlimited energy, optimism, hope. Those are power. That's a powerful, powerful combination. Harness that and make it happen. We have a super chat from WRC. Shout out to you, WRC. Thank you. A two-year member who writes, says, sliding through Portland is tolerable with the live stream. Yeah, sliding through. I, slide, I have to slide through myself from time to time. And I assure you, I am armed to the teeth when I go through there. It's getting rough over there, man. Every time I put up those, those videos of what I wear or how I rig up to go to Portland, people call, oh, it's safe here. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. That's not the truth. Last time I was down there, the stores in what was the nicest part of that town, you know, where the high-end retail was, all have armed guards out front. And I was walking by, and I start, struck up a conversation with one of them, and I asked him about it. He's like, oh, it's, it's bad. He said, um, the... People just come in and just, just grab stuff and just run out. Uh, we have no choice. And then, then there are small businesses. Um, I saw there's signs up, up. You wouldn't believe that businesses that have been there for years and years, all boarded up now with signs outside saying, we just can't keep up. How many times can we have our big, expensive plate glass commercial windows broken before we just, we, we can't replace them? We can't replace them every month. It costs five, six, ten thousand dollars each time some dirtbag comes over there and throws a brick at them or, or a, a rock at them. Uh, it is a city in decline and decaying. 
It, it's just sad. You could just every time I go there, it gets worse and worse and worse. You know, it, my um, Mrs. W's brother. Uh, he's a creative director for a big international design company, advertising company, and they have a location uh, in Portland. But he lives and works in Amsterdam, and he. When he first got married, they had a they bought a house, and he would you know they had both their kids here. They were pretty close to our first house, and he so he's when he moved when they moved to Amsterdam and went away. He's been away for about ten years, yeah, yeah, about ten years I guess or so. And uh, he had heard you know people would say, oh man, Portland's getting bad. Portland's getting bad. Well, he was here to visit last like two months ago, and he. He brought that up to us. It was like, oh, how bad can it be? And I think people are blowing this out of proportion, you know. And he was asking me, you know, so I'm going down there. You know, people are trying to scare me. Is it really that bad? And I said, yeah, it's pretty bad. I said, there's places you don't want to go. And I don't think that he believed me. He, he just looked skeptical. He's like, well, you know, I'll just take an Uber. You know, it shouldn't be that bad a deal. Well, he went back there and he saw it for himself and he was absolutely shocked. It was very interesting for his perspective because he went from not seeing it all or seeing it it, it's basically its heyday to the decline it's in now. You know, he didn't see the slow slide. Um, it's bad. It's bad. Be careful. Lock your doors and don't stop for anyone. I wouldn't even stop for police in that city. I'd move on and do what I could. We have a super chat from Riles. Shout out to you, Riles. And Riles says, thank you for your faithfulness and following the Spirit's conviction. Uh, by the way, keep up Keep up the Southeast Florida man jokes. They are pure gold. West Texas is my home, but I long to come see the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, you know, West Texas is a, he's a different man. Also. He's his own type of man. I, I used to think that Texas man was Southern man. That, that's what, what we believe up here in the Pacific Northwest. You know, we kind of have to categorize you. I mean, it really falls into a few categories. We have East Coast man, which we know all about that. We have Southern man. Florida man, we have Minnesota man, we'll just say, uh, up there in the UP area, and then we have Pacific Northwest man, and then we have California man, and then Texas man. Texas man, so when we, one of the, we used to go, Mrs. W and I used to, I used to keynote speak for the Mother Earth News Fair, and they, they had about four or five, six different locations throughout the country we go down there and speak. We got to go to places that we'd never been before and on the East Coast and all, all over the place. But the, I remember the first time we went down, it was Southern Texas. Uh, we were invited down there to speak. And when, uh, when we went down there, uh, after we left, Mrs. W and I were, were both of the same conclusion that I have never felt more welcome and have been around warmer, friendlier people than our Texas friends. We were, I mean, the way that they pulled out, the, rolled out the red carpet and the, the gifts and the gratitude and just the friendliness, uh, it, was, it was an incredible experience. We left after spending five days in Texas with a very, very uh, fond affection uh, for Texas man. Uh, but we were treated so good. And the food, the, the, te the, the food was amazing. The people were warm and friendly. I don't know how many invitations uh, were handed out to us. We love Texas man. And I was, I was educated um, and straightened out that by Texas man that he is certainly not Southern man, that there is a distinct difference. So shout out to Texas man. Now, with that being said, your environment is hateful. 
I had the misfortune of spending three months in Houston in the heat of the summer in a car with no air conditioning, sitting in traffic on the Beltway, uh, and that is one of the most miserable, hateful places I've ever spent a summer. Not, not because of the people, but just the heat was beyond oppressive. I don't know how you do it. And I've even been told that there's hotter places than that in, in the state. But uh, shout out to Texas, man. Uh, he's hard as nails to be able to live in that environment. Goodness. David Evans, welcome, our newest member. Shout out to you. Thanks for joining us. And 1979, Augustine, shout out to you, our newest member. You just pushed David out of the running. And Tom Nero pushed you both out of the running. He's our newest member. Shout out to you, Tom. Welcome. Welcome. And Baros, Outdoor Living. Goodness, four members right now. I'm going to have something real nice for you guys today. We'll, we'll get you some, some, um, some members-only content. i got a few projects going around here. We'll turn on the camera and uh, come and join us. All right, gentlemen, I've got a lot going today. Mrs. W's got a honey-do list as long as my arm. I'm going to head over there and start doing that. We have a lot of preparation. We're hoping to build a new house. We're hoping to build a small house for our family to move into so that we can get this thing going, get this plane off the ground, and that's very exciting. Something new that just came to my attention, and I'll share it with you guys. Uh, I was talking to Overton. He said, I need, you, I need a call today, so I, I gave him a call right before the stream. And he said, we've got some really good people um, in the mods that are primed and ready to go. We got the talk of doing an app, got the talk of doing a website, got the talk of someone being able to handle merch. And, and, I, and I'm, I was reluctant to do that. People have been asking for it for years, but I just didn't know how I'd have the time. You know, there's so many fun things we can do. You know, it's, it, it's what I like to do with, with merch or shirts is... I like to have something that, that if you know, you know. You know, the fun things that we talk about and the jokes that we make and the East Coast guy and all of that. Something that if you were to see it uh, and you weren't part of the channel and you weren't part of the culture that we're building here that you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't know what it was. But if you knew, you knew. And um, that's the fun thing to do. And I have all these ideas of what we could do and, and different things and, and have a little fun with our East Coast friends and such. But I just haven't had the time to make, bring that to fruition. What God is helping me with here is that I have been, always been a very independent man and very prideful about my ability to, to be self-reliant and to take care of my own problems. My biggest sin, my biggest source of pride is not wanting to let people help me, um, to feel like that I'm less of a man or that I've failed in some way if I can't get my own truck out of a ditch if I can't deal with my own situations, if I can't deal with my own problems, that if some, another man had to step in and help me, that that was a sign of weakness. Um, and my dad was that way. He, he passed that on to me. It was, it was both of us just have a morbid dread and fear of being at the mercy of someone else. And as illogical as that is and, and wrong-headed as that is and, anti, and against the teachings of the Bible, it's just it's the way I've always been. I've always been very prideful that way. I reached out for help with, with the middlemen, with the moderators. Overton has become my right-hand man and, and, and the others. I, 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 I don't want to leave anyone out. You know who you are. And 
the conversation that I had with him today, I haven't even had time to process it. We, we talked right before I started the live stream, and, and he said, you know, there's a lot of good, good people here that have great skills that are ready to do something. All you got to do is, is say the word. And I've been reluctant to do that because I, my pride, I didn't want, I didn't want to have to, I didn't want to ask for help. I thought I could do it all myself. And this, hearing, hearing that and, and just being made aware of that from the stream is just now dawning on me and sinking in on me that I need to stop doing that. That God is sending men and women to do this work. I can't do it all myself. And that, that there are good people out there that want to help and are willing to help that, that understand what we're trying to do here. And I need to embrace that. And that I can't do this, I can't do this by myself. I can't run this channel and, and take care of my family and, and try to get another house built. And, and it's, just, it's just too much for me. And just the relief right now that's coming into me from just that, that kind offer. Of, those of you who have offered to help know who you are. It's, it means a lot to me. I haven't even processed it, and I appreciate that. I, I'm going to try to put that pride away, and I'm going to try to let myself be helped. And if you feel led to do that, um, I, I need to step aside a little bit and, and, and let, let folks help. Let hope folks help with this. This is, a, this is the most important work that we have to do. You know, here we are, most likely in the generation that's been honored to be alive for the second coming, and... I'm not the only one. I, I'm not the only one here doing it. That there's other folks that are being led as well, and and that this is an opportunity for us to to do a great work and to save a lot of people. So, I appreciate that. So, with that being said, uh, I told Overton, let's set up individual calls with the folks that have stepped up and offered. We have someone that stepped up that's offered to to help with maybe doing us a website and an app where we can get our stuff in a safe location where we we won't be. In the, under the constant threat of being shut down. That will give me the ability to share exactly what I want to share. If we want to talk about self-defense and personal defense and those things, you know, that's not the only thing, but that's something that we haven't been able to do here. It's going to give us a freedom and a liberty, and it's, going to, it's, it's, what, it's just the natural progression of things. Um, I've resisted it. I can't resist it anymore. I'm going to accept the help, and um, it's going to speed up the work. So it's the only way that it can happen. I... I I just don't have the energy and the drive that I had when I was 30, no matter how bad I try. And, and I, you can only force something to happen so long before it, you know, it starts affecting your health and you start breaking down and, you know, I'm not getting any younger either. So, so there's going to be things changing and I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I'm going to have an open mind and um, if someone offers to help, I'm going to graciously accept it and step aside a little bit and have other people be able to step in next to me and help shoulder and carry the load. That's what we're going to do. So I'm excited. I'm more excited about now, the direction of the channel now, than I was even at the, my peak excitement back in the early days. And you know, I was literally thinking you know, towards the end of the summer, you know, it might be time to shut it down. It might be time to go do something different. You know, I've been doing this for 13 years. It's been a long time. But now I see we're going in a different direction, that uh, there's an important work to do. And everything that I've done to this so far, my last, my decade of work has been to get us to this point where we can be effective and we can help people and reach people and, um, and encourage one another. So I don't know how to express my gratitude for, for everyone and every, all the offering from the super chats to those who have offered to 
you know, purchase merch to help us with the community center. And uh, it's a hard thing. It's a very, very humbling thing for me to accept this help. And man, God knows where to put the thumb, man. He knows exactly where your weak spot is. And he's all on that pride of mine of being independent and doing things on myself. And I'm going to have to be hum humble myself. I'm going to have to accept help. So thank you. You know who you are. I sure appreciate it. We have one more super chat. Goodness. From Nilfinity. Shout out to you. Thank you for your generosity. Nilfinity asks, what advice do you have for someone who has spent his teens and 20s working as a truck driver, farmhand, but keeps feeling the call to the more creative work like writing or storytelling? I can, re I can relate to that. I didn't know that I was a... Be careful. I don't want to... Come on. P people that say, oh, I'm a creative person or I'm a creative, you know, like, like I have some superpower or something special that you don't have. That, that's always bandied about by so many creative type people, which may or may not be. But I never I thought of myself as being a creative person because I grew up in the trades and it's hard to be creative in the trades, truck driving, working on a farm. There's a process for doing things. You follow rules. There's a blueprint. You follow the bl blueprint. There's not, if you're framing houses, there's no room for creativity. You're not going outside and, and doing arches and stuff. No, you're, you're just doing what you're told. This is what you do and you just go forward and you do it. Don't think about it. Just, just do what you're told. Driving truck. You, know, you, can't, you can only be so creative with driving a truck. You need to get safely from point A to point B. There's a way that's been established to do that. There are rules that you have to follow. That's the way I grew up. I can relate. And I never, I never really was happy with that, but I did it the best I could. Well, now I find myself in a position where there are no rules. I could wake up in the morning. I could conceive an idea. I can put it on. I could turn on my camera. We can make something or we can express an idea that has not been talked about before, that there aren't any rules. There are no boundaries. And that's an incredible way to work. It's an incredible opportunity to have to be able to do that to express your creativity, to actually to do something or to create something or conceive of something that can generate thousands and thousands of comments or millions of millions of views. It's a hard thing to get your head around, uh, but it's a wonderful way to work. How do you get from truck driving or what you've always known into something like that? I don't know. Um, I don't think you can be super creative. I guess, does your creativity need to be in your work? Or do you do what you have to do so that you can do what you want to do? Um, you know, not all, none of us can be completely independent. As much as I say that, like, oh, I have a, this really great job where I can wake up in the morning and there aren't any rules, do whatever I want. That's true to a certain extent for a few hours. But then there's the, the mundane things. You know, I've got to plow the driveway, the snow. I've got to fix the roof that's leaking. I've got to go fix the, the, the pipes. I've got to change the oil on the truck. You know, I, got, you know, I, I have to do that, all that. So I guess the, to, to try to have, to ha if you think you're going to have an ultimate life or a life that is just nothing but just expressing your creativity, that's just not going to be possible. That will be po that's, that's the thing that's been reserved for us to be in the kingdom. And I guess I would look at that, and I look at that as a motivator to get there. 
that's where my passion lies. That's where true happiness and contentment is, is when you can do what you want, when you want, how you want, outside of the jurisdiction or under the thumb of another man. And that's just not going to be possible in this planet. So the way I look at it is you do what you have to do so that you this life, this short 60, 70, 80 years that we experience, you know, it, it is insignificant when we contrast that with eternity. And this notion of eternity being a boring place, I've heard ignorant people say, oh, I don't even want to go to heaven. I, it doesn't sound very much fun to me to sit on a cloud for eternity and strum a harp. That's, I mean, that is such a child's understanding of, and such a foolish thing to say that that actually comes out of the lips, the mouth of an adult is depressing. What's eternity going to look like for us? Well, what, is the, what, is, what does the Bible say? In the, before the fall, what was, what was the job of Adam and Eve? What was the job of our early parents? They were put in the garden to be gardeners, to tend the garden. Uh, they were given the responsibility of naming the animals. They, they were put there to work, to create, to, to maybe splice the, the raspberry with the strawberry and produce a fruit that had never existed before. And maybe from that one spliced with something else to produce something that never existed before. They were there to build, or even told that in, in the end time, you know, in the kingdom that, that, we'll, that we'll have dwellings, buildings that we'll live in. I see in this life that there's nothing more satisfying in life than creating with your hands, building something. There's nothing more wonderful than to put hard work into something and then after a job is finished and completed and done well, the pride and the joy that you have from experiencing that or sharing that with people. Because the first thing you want to do is you want to share. You build, you build a race car or you build a classic car or you build a, a, a timber frame cabin. If you didn't have that to share with people that could enjoy that, uh, your accomplishments, then, what, then life would be very hollow and very empty. I'm looking forward to having eternity to pursue any interest that I want. If I wanted to become a musician or study music, or if I wanted to, to travel the, the galaxy or the universe or all of God's creation, or if I wanted to, to build something or, or to, who, who knows what, I would have eternity to pursue these interests and, and, to, and to enjoy my creativity and take it to the ultimate level. You know, God made us in his very own image. He puts things into us instinctively, and where we find pleasure now is not so different than where we're going to find pleasure then. We just won't be under the, the burden of sickness and, and time constraints and bosses and money and worry and dread and fear and sickness and dark and all these things. We'll be able to do it. Just, it's going to be amazing. So understand you have to do what you have to do uh, so that you can do what you want to do and um, that someday we'll be in a position where we can express that creativity in an unlimited fashion. I guess, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe start a YouTube channel. Follow your passions, whatever it is that you like to do. Whether you're an artist or a musician, do that. And that could turn into a vocation. It worked for me. I'm no better than you. I was just a working stiff. I didn't even didn't go to college, didn't do well in school, uh, wasn't given anything. And this has changed my life, and it could change your life as well. So uh, I wish I had a better answer for you.
seems kind of kind of weak. Shout out to you though. I, I thank you for your generosity. Mr. Jason Barr, a two-year member. Welcome back. Good to see you. Says I find that God gives me a measure of creativity every day. It's up to me to use it wisely, just my experience. Yeah, that's true. You know, and Jason Jason brings Jason brings some of the most thought-compelling comments. Some of the things that you've said, I've went back and looked and looked at and think on all the time. You are, um, I think you've been put here to teach me. Thank you for that. That's true. Yeah, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your all with all your might. You, I know that whatever I'm doing, it can be. Here's a perfect example: is that um, <clears throat> Jack Jack has a snow bike. We both have snow bikes. And I, I always have Jack do his own maintenance. He's not a mechanical guy. It's not his interest. He doesn't even like doing it. And I know he doesn't like doing it, but I think it's important that he knows how to have, do the basics. And so I've always insisted on that. I'll, I'll, I'm here to help you, uh, but I'm not going to do it for you. You have to do it yourself. Well, he, he came out and um, he couldn't get the oil plug off of his Honda, off the bottom. It was too tight. And he broke, even broke a snap-on wrench trying to get that off. It was super, super tight. And he came in and, and said, I, you know, said, I can't do it. You know, I'm thinking, oh, come on, really? And so I didn't say anything to him. I'm like, okay, he, he tried. I'll, I'll go out there and see if I can do it. And I, I immediately was annoyed. I was, I was agitated. Like, you know what? I don't have time to do this. And, and I, I hate to, it's wrong for me to be doing maintenance on his bike. You know, he should be doing it. You know, he knows how to do this, this thing. But God really spoke to me and was like, you know, just help me to look at it differently. And I, and I stopped and I, I, repos- I just changed the way I was thinking. And instead of being aggravated and agitated and having my wrench broke and all this, I decided before I even opened the door to step into the shop, I'm going I'm I'm to step in here with a, a, a sense of gratitude. Let's... Everything that you see, let's be thankful for it. It's 22 degrees outside. How many years have I had to be shade tree out working on stuff in the rain, under a tree, under a shed, in the gravel, wet, cold, miserable, losing your tools, dropping sockets in the gravel, dropping bolts? How many years have I had to do that? Rain gear on. It changed everything. I made that, connect, I made that change in my mind, connected with God, opened that door, and the first thing I was greeted by was I had a shop with a roof on it, a concrete floor. Came over, built a wood, built a fire. I've got a nice fire, rolled the bike over here. Everything, I just looked at it differently. A job like that in the past would have been hateful to me. It would, it would, the whole thing, I would have been dreading it, angry, annoyed at my son, etc., etc., etc. Having that attitude change, it was incredible. I peacefully moved through the process. When things became difficult, the thing wouldn't come out and was just about to strip a bolt that was going to cause me immense trouble. Just remain calm, work through it. I was grateful that I had a torch that I could heat it up. I was grateful that the wood stove was putting off heat, that I wasn't freezing out here. I was grateful that I had a nice toolbox and good tools and, and, and oil in the back so I didn't have to run to the store. And it changed everything. That whole experience that would have been awful even six months, a few weeks ago, was something that I just, I, I just had a great experience. And it translated for the rest of my day. Then I was able to work through it, got the bolt out, got the oil changed, everything done. 
calmly went in, got my son. We went out. We had a beautiful day together. In the past, I would have, it would have started wrong. I would have been, you know, after him. Why'd you break my wrench? You know, it, it's incredible. And nothing was different. The environment wasn't different. The shop wasn't different. It was just a sense of being grateful and gratitude. Beloved, I'll tell you the truth, that a positive outlook on life, positivity, gratitude for what you have, is healing your body. It's, it's, it's medicine to your body. I believe that a negative attitude and being angry and frustrated all the time, I think it can even bring on disease. I think it can make you sick. I think it can deteriorate the vessel that God has given us. It's very, very important. This is being really shown to me of late how important it is to be great, great, grateful and have gratitude for, for everything. And whatever your hand finds to do, the good book tells us, do it with all your might. And honor God in all you do. Don't be like the guys that say good enough for government work. Don't be like the guys that say, oh, I can't see it from my house or try to hide shoddy work. We will give an account for these things. That's a great sin to pass shoddy work on to someone and cause someone else difficulty. It's dishonest. It's lying. It's, 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 it's terrible. The professional homeowner doesn't have to be perfect or know everything. He just has to do the best he can with what he has. Gratitude. Gratitude is everything. I think that that's really the thing. Gratitude is the thing that we need to really concentrate on this year. We have a new member, George Lopez. Shout out to you, George. Thank you. Welcome. Our newest member. You get to enjoy your 940 badge, member's badge only. And Ill State Fishing, ACA Beeb. Shout out to you. Thank you. And Brandon Aga, new member as well. Shout out to you, Brandon. Brandon writes, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Yeah. There you go. That's why we have to have to have bosses. That's why we have to have taskmasters masters and overseers. How nice would it be? We were just talking about I found when I the reason why I quit the fire department was was because a chief decided to put a taskmaster over me and over my roommate for no reason. And there was no reason for it. Just think of how much better the world would be if you didn't have to have a boss. If you could know what your job was, if you could be shown the respect due to a man to go do your job and to do it diligently without someone lording over you or watching over you. But there's so many people that do shoddy work that, that they have no choice. That you, if you're not going to be able to do the work on your own, if you can't do it in a godly manner, the best of your abilities, then you'll be forced to do it. And they'll put someone over you to make you do it and tell you when you can go to the bathroom, and tell you when you can take your lunch, and tell you when you can have your vacation, and that's what you get. We have a super chat, chat from Back Creek Homestead, and one year member, shout out to you Back Creek, good to see you back, who writes, we are a homesteading family with a small YouTube channel. Trucking is what pays the bills for now until we can make it on our own land. Yep, and I had to do the same thing Mrs. W. and I, <clears throat> when I first started doing YouTube videos, <clears throat> she did not like it. <clears throat> she did not like the violation of our privacy. And I didn't include the family in the first videos. It was just stuff done out in my shop. And she vowed she would never be in a video. Don't bring that camera in the house. I don't like this. She didn't like it. <clears throat> when I... 
when the channel started getting bigger and when I got my first check, uh, it was for just a little over $100. And I remember it as clear as day. In the early days of YouTube, there was no, there was no opportunity to monetize. There was no way to, to be paid for your content. And we just did it for fun. It was, it was just the way that was. We just learned from each other. So I was doing this and I was spending you know, more and more time doing this. It was taking away from time in the business. You know, it was only so, many time in, so much time in the day I was doing my Jeep parts business, which I was really getting burnt out on. When I got that, that first check, I took it, Mrs. W was upstairs in our old house. I took it upstairs and she was doing some bookkeeping for our business and I, I handed it to her. And I said, this came from Google. You think this is real? And she looked at it. I don't know, it looks real. I'm like, I, don't, I think that's a scam. You know, you know how those, those, all those scam checks come in the mail all the time. I didn't believe it. And she said, well, let's, uh, let's deposit it and see if it cashes, right? And that's what we did. And I, uh, I couldn't get that out of my mind. I'm like, I can't believe it. You know, I, I love doing this. I just, it was my favorite thing to do to make content and do gear reviews and such. And to get a check from it was just incredible to me. Well, when that check cashed, and over the next months, and then it was you know $300, and then it was $500, that changed everything for me. And, and I went to her and I said, I want to do this all the time. I, I, you know, what, what's this going to take for us to do this all the time? And we sat down and did a, kind of did a family budget, and we decided that if it were possible, if we could ever hit a particular number that we set, you know, she does all the books. She said, if you could get it to this point, then you wouldn't have to do the Jeep parts anymore. And that was it for me. I mean, I, I was laser, laser focused on that. And there were many, many years that I had to, I had to do two jobs, or I had to, three jobs. I had to run my Jeep parts business. I had to grow my YouTube channel. And we were doing the off-grid um, the off-grid homestead and, and I worked very very hard for a long time but I did what I had to do so that I could do what I love to do what I want to do and it was a hard long road but I was consistent and even though the content wasn't very good one thing that stuck in my mind someone told me when I asked them you know that was had a bigger channel than me and I don't remember who it was but it was just keep uploading, just keep doing it. I don't care how you feel, I don't care how tired you are, I don't care how sick you are of running back and forth and moving the tripod and you wanna clear all this land and you wanna cut down these trees, you gotta film it, you gotta film it, you gotta keep uploading. This, this is what you want to do, this is what's required of you. You're gonna to have to work three jobs for several years if the, in some possibility you can get to that point. And that's what I did. It was consistency. I just didn't give up. I just kept going, kept going, kept going. I did what I had to do so that I could one day do what I want to do. So I know what it took to get here. And when people come in, Johnny come lately is that must be nice, must be nice. You know, that's always the, what you hear. It doesn't have any effect on me. Where were you when I was working three jobs? Where were you when I was killing myself logging by myself? Mrs. W and I logging single-handedly, you know, 20 acres on the side of a mountain, old, big old firs, you know. I, 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 we did that. We did what we had to do so that I could do what I wanted to do. And um, I mean, that's, that's the key. You don't have to be the brightest dude. You don't have to be the most talented one. 
It's oftentimes those guys are not the most successful. The key to success in everything is just not quit. The Navy SEALs will tell you the same thing. I, I, I've read so much about that, going through BUDS training and such, and instructors will tell you, you know, when we get a new bunch of recruits and we, we're surveying them at the start, before this, all this starts, you, know, you can kind of look at guys and, and see. We used to think, yeah, he's, he's a big, strong guy, and he's a, he's a good swimmer, and this guy's a good runner and a collegiate athlete. You know, he, he's going to do well. He said, you never know. The guys that you pick and you think that are going to make it through are oftentimes the first guys to tap out. He said, you know who makes it? It's not the fastest. It's not the best. It's not the most talented, not the best swimmer. It's the guy that just doesn't stop. He's just relentless. He just keeps on going, keeps on going. I had no, I didn't know anything about cameras. I didn't know anything about film school. I didn't know anything about lighting. I didn't know anything. I didn't even, I didn't know how to edit videos. You know, in the early days for years, my content, I had to shoot in one take because I didn't have the ability to splice clips. That was far beyond me. I didn't even think I would ever be able to do that. It was so, over, so, so far beyond my skill set. I'd have to shoot and shoot and shoot and try to get it right, try to get everything in one take. And I spent hours and hours and hours doing that. And, and I just didn't stop. I just didn't quit. And that's why, that's why we're here. And that, that's the key. That, that's it. I mean, whatever, you, whatever it is that you're doing, that's, that's, just, that's how you win. That's how you get ahead because everyone else will quit. We have a super chat from Mr. Tom Nero and new member. Shout out to you, Tom Nero. He says, uh, I met you years ago in Vancouver, B.C. Gave you a patch for my jacket. Uh, you're the most stand-up man and ROL role model for men. I'd also like to see if you could commission a Grand Forsberg's handle. Uh, with a brand. I remember that. I do, I do remember that. That's one thing that Mrs. W and I have really missed. We used to, be, we used to get out more. Uh, we used to, the Mother Earth News Fair, she, 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 when we were kind of laying out our year this year, one of the things that we were, we sat down and had a, a, a business meeting, her and I, and, and what do we want to do? Where, where do we want to take the channel? What, 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 what do we want to do with our life? And one thing that we've really been missing is going out and having an opportunity to connect with folks and, and do those things, whether it be speaking or um, meet and greets. That's, we always receive so much benefit from that because you can, see, you can see the comments and you can see the numbers on the computer, but it's kind of faceless and meaningless. When you go out and you, and you get to meet with folks and you get to talk with folks that, that are inspired or like-minded, man, the energy... Uh, and the motivation that that brings, you just come home on fire. You know, you're just so excited for things. We want to get back to more of that. And that's something that's really been lacking. I cannot commit to commissioning or making something right now as much as I'd like to. I wish that I could. I've done that in the past. And, it, you know, to make, do something like that, to make a handle that it's probably 8, 10, 12 hours to do it properly from scratch, to do it scratch, to do it properly. And, and I love doing it, but I just don't have time to do that. Um, and I wish I did. I really wish I could. Uh, what, I, gonna, what I'd like to do is, rather than um, do that, is I'd like to show you how to do it. You know, and that's, that's going to be a big component. We're going to do that. That'd be one of the first things. You know, I'm not going to teach every class. I only have certain skill set, but that's one thing that I can do. I would like, my vision would be one of the first things I'd like to do is you come here and, and we'll, you can make your own from scratch. We'll all do one together, and uh, I'll show you, show you how to do it.
filing cross-cut saws, whatever. There's a lot of things that we can do. That's important, but just being together and hanging out is, is probably more than half of it. It's good to hear from you. I do remember that. We have a new member, Cody, Cody Burdo. Shout out to you, Cody. And Revolver. Revolver, we have a super chat. Shout out to you, Revolver. He writes um, that, he, Cody, I'm 22 years old and in college. It might sound silly, but your videos were very instrumental in giving myself to Christ a few years back. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I'll tell you the first couple, when I left the church, I was really adrift. I was, I was cut off from my support system. And on my own, it was a very hard and lonely time. I, didn't, I was severed from everything, friends, family, everything I'd ever known, and, and out, thrown out into a really cruel world. And I remember I, I didn't have any interest in Christianity, and I'd never met a Christian because I, the people in the cult that I grew up with, with were not, not Christians, in my opinion, or if they were, they were closeted. I didn't meet any, but very few, apart from my granddad. I did a job, I had a, I had a, it was one man, one man show, I had, I had a little excavator and I would do uh, drain fields and residential work and such. And I got a, a bit of a job for a septic system for an older couple that were, I think, I, I don't know, they weren't Mennonite, but they were like that. They were very traditional, very conservative. They were just beautiful, beautiful people. They were the first two people that I'd ever met that were true followers of Christ. Never been around it before. And it was just a, no, a norm, normal job for me. And, and I'd bid it, and I went out there to work, and the guy that, that I was working for was probably in his 60s or so, and, and he was lending a hand. You know, he, he saw that I was out there. You know, I had to do drain fields and septic systems. I had to do everything by myself. It's usually a two-man job, but I couldn't afford to hire anyone. I just, I had to work by myself. So I devised ways to set septic tanks by myself. And when I was doing leach fields to hold up the pipe, and you know, my dad had done the same thing and he helped me with some things as well. And I was able to, to do that, but he'd come out and help me. And that was the first time that I'd ever felt the gentle, beautiful, peaceful spirit of Christ in, in a person. And man, that, 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 what, I, I didn't know it at the time and I didn't know what it was but I knew I wanted to be around it. And, and they, I'd never done this before in the past, but at lunchtime, um, they invited me into the house and I, I was only there for a few days and I would, I would eat, eat lunch with them. And they never, ever said, preach to me, never said a word about the Bible, never said anything. They just had this sweet, sweet spirit that just permeated the land and the house and the area and everything was neat and tidy and the fences were painted and straight and the beautiful garden, it was modest, it wasn't anything fancy, but that made a powerful impact on me. And I never could forget that family, I, th th those, that couple. I never could, I never could uh, really put my finger on what, what it was about them that was different. And now looking back on it, now I see that that was, that, that was th those were two people that were brought into my life that started me on the journey uh, of being able to come to the knowledge of, of Christ. And, and they never preached to me, and they never condemned me. All they did was just show love and kindness, and they had something that I, that I didn't even know was possible. And that was, there were many other people throughout my life, uh, that, more situations like that, that, that contributed to me being able to, to come and, and, to, and to get to know Christ. And if I could be one of those people, that would be the best thing. So thank you.
That's a very encouraging thing to hear. Thank you, Revolver. I appreciate that. We have a super chat from Freedom Rover. Shout out to you and brand new member. Welcome. Who writes, young men, if you need a job, look into surveying. Yeah, that's a good point. I worked with surveyors quite a bit being in the excavating business. Not worked with them, but we were on the same job sites together. And they were, um, yeah, surveyors were always a really high quality group of people. Um, educated. They seemed to like their job. They seem to be happy with their job and they get to work with cool equipment. Yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about that. that is a good job. I'll bet it's a good paying job too. You get to be outside a lot as a surveyor. Most of your time, I would imagine, is spent in the field. Yeah, that's a very, very, that's a, I had not considered that, but that would be a, that's something I would look into doing. I, I would be happy to be a surveyor for a while. It'd be a very interesting work. Searching for benchmarks. You know, you're, it's kind of like finding hidden treasure when you're looking for those old benchmarks. Those could be hard to find and are very interesting. Yeah, thanks for that tip. That's a good, that's a great idea. We have a super chat from K Bowers 8111. Shout out to you. A member for two months. Thank you for being here. He says, do you, you think a person could make a living with a small welder? Industrial art, furniture, parts repair, small projects. I think so. I actually knew a guy that did that. Uh, he was a Russian guy. I had bought uh, Mrs. W. This was years ago. Uh, the first car I bought for her when we got married was a was the little Ford Escape. It was a brand new, it only had like three or 4,000 miles on it. And I was doing my Jeep parts business at the time and I was buying uh, cars with front end collisions. Uh, and so this came on the auction and I was looking for a little car for her, something for all wheel, four wheel drive. And it came up and it was a, it was a light front end collision. And it was something I could repair, just replace the front clip, grills and, and such. It was pretty basic stuff, a hood, two front fenders, you know, basic stuff. So I bought it really nice, almost brand new. And to my horror, when I got it there, the, it had hit so hard that it had broken, it had an aluminum engine block, it broken the motor mount off. I think that was a transit, I, I think the engine sat sideways in that. That's what it was, it was front wheel drive and then, a, and then a axle or a drive shaft axle to the back wheels. Oh, it's a, I was heartbroken by that. Like, uh, I just, I didn't have the money. There was no way I had the money at that time to replace an engine. And it looked like a complete loss. I mean, how, how are you going to fix that? Big chunk broke off the main motor mount off of the cast, off of the, off the engine. Well, I got to look, my, I told, I had the Russian chop shop guy next to me and I went and was crying, you know, going over to them and asked them, you know, can anything, can anything be done? Oh, yeah, no, no problem. He, he gave me a phone number. I called the guy. Hey, I'll be right out. A dude rolled up in a van and uh, backed right up to the sh my shop. I had Mrs. W's car in there and threw open the doors and uh, br drug out his welding leads and sat down there for about two hours. And I'd never even pulled the engine out and rebuilt, rebuilt that up, you know, welded that all back up. And uh, I think he welded the mount back on. That's what it was. Yeah, the mount was still, it was still, on, it was still there. It just had cracked off. It was pretty, pretty catastrophic. He welded that thing back up on there, and I think he charged me $150. I was absolutely, I was the happiest man in the county when that happened. And I got the car going, and she drove that thing for years and years. Um, and that's what he did. He went around doing that. He was able to do small jobs and repairs, and he went to uh, the people who needed it. I would say... 100% that you could do that. You have to hustle, build up your client, but word gets out very quickly. Word of mouth on small businesses like that is everything. It's everything. You need to do everything in your power to make sure 
that your customers are, are beyond satisfied. And, and now with the rating system, you know, online rating, being able to rate businesses, you know, that's more important than ever. But I would say that you could do that. And um, get yourself a welder, make sure you know what you're doing, and uh, you can do that. I, I would say, I don't see any reason why you couldn't do it. He made a living at it and uh, saved, saved my bacon for sure. We have a super chat from Mr. Cobra Kyle, a new member. Welcome, our brand newest member. And oh, no, not our newest. We have Snail Bro 32 just kicked you out of the running. Our newest member. Shout out to you and welcome. All right, that's the two hour point. We got to go. We got to go. Thank you, beloved. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your super chats. Thank you to the middlemen and all of our moderators. We couldn't do it without you. I'm looking forward to what the future brings. Come see us tomorrow. May God bless you and your families. Please keep us in your prayers, and we'll see you on tomorrow's live stream.